Hello, and welcome to Fresh Pressed for July 21st, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. Uh, this is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and good trouble. Um, this week, we are honoring the life and work and legacy of John Lewis. Yeah. Um, as you may be aware, John Lewis passed away on Friday night at the age of 80. He was a representative of Congress and one of the most important and influential figures in the civil rights movement through the 50s and 60s, whose impact should not be underestimated. And then the many, many years after that he spent in Congress, where he was afforded and, well, he took a a certain level of moral high grounds and was afforded enormous amount of respect by most of the presidents that he served with. Um, Truly an important and great man. And we think that there's a lot of interesting music about the work that he was involved in and in the places that he's been um, that we can tie back to you, the listener. Um, We're going to focus mainly on the Freedom Rider portion of John Lewis's life. Obviously, he was um, a leading member of the March at Selma, and he spoke at the March on Washington alongside Dr. Martin Luther King. Many other important things he's done in his life, so we're just going to focus on a small piece of it, which is the Freedom Rider movement. If you're not familiar with the Freedom Riders, I certainly recommend that you learn more than I'm going to give you here, but basically, the Plessy versus Ferguson was struck down, which uh, basically stated the separate but equal doctrine. However, it was very weakly enforced at the time, so... A number of uh, individuals, uh, there were an original 13, including John Lewis, uh, basically rode buses from, I guess to this, they started in D.C. maybe, and they ended up going all the way to Mississippi, all, all through the South, South Carolina, Tennessee, riding buses and sitting in places where local laws would not allow them to sit. Um, so maybe we'll start there, because Andrew, your song uh, is directly tied to the Freedom Riders. Yeah, so my song is entitled The Freedom Rider, and it is by Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Although I should, (laughs) as you'll hear through all of the clips, it's just Art Blakey, because it is a drum solo. So Art Blakey is very important to jazz. Ooh, hot take. Uh, so he's a drummer, obviously, as you can tell from this song where he plays the drums very well. Uh, he's originally from Pittsburgh, and he actually started on piano. And then there's a maybe apocryphal story about like he was like playing piano at a nightclub, and then the nightclub owner ordered him at gunpoint to switch to drums so that uh, another pianist could play. And it was at that point that it became a drummer. It's unclear if that was if that's actually true or if that's just a fun story. But Were you a great jazz musician playing around the middle of the century if you didn't have a crazy apocryphal story about you? I mean, like the Charlie Parker story about somebody telling him he was so bad. That's exactly... Somebody yeah. told that Charlie Parker that he was terrible and needed to practice his scales or something. 
Um, Charlie Parker's a saxophone player. Um, and so he allegedly went and locked himself in a woodshed for a year and only practiced scales and just played in the woodshed for a year. And then that terminology became known as woodshedding when you go and practice your scales. Or there was the time that Charlie Parker got a fucking cymbal thrown at him. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're not talking about Charlie Parker here. We're talking about Art Blakey. Once he switched to drums, he became very good at the drums. He played what's what's known as hard bop, um, which we don't really have to go deep into. But I think even if we just give you the the phrase hard bop and you listen to this this song, you can tell what we're talking about, at least from the drums standpoint. Yeah, the nice thing about some like jazz subgenres is they're like pretty self-explanatory, like swing or bebop. Like you get the idea just from the name. Um, and this is from an album also called The Freedom Rider, with The Jazz Messengers, which was Art Blakey's band for like 30 years that he led and had all sorts of people in it. He like made an effort to have to refresh the lineup a lot so that there were new and upcoming uh, musicians. And then, of course, a lot of those musicians who started or were with The Jazz Messengers early on uh, then went on to be like, you know, Wynton Marsalis. Art Blakey was one of these musicians who, looking back at who he played with in retrospect, it seems like he played with everybody relevant from his time period, which in part is because he's an amazing drummer, so other great jazz musicians wanted him on their records. But also due to this, like he managed to select great musicians for his own group who then went on to have spectacular solo careers as well. So let's talk about this song itself. Uh, This is off, as I said, the album also entitled The Freedom Rider, which came out in 1962, the year after the Freedom Rides began. What I think sealed the deal in terms of me picking this song as the theme pick is that, I don't know, we've, we've, we've brought a decent amount of jazz in the last month and a half. And I know that jazz isn't everyone's thing. And especially just the drums is not gonna be everyone's thing, but while this is an incredible like display of drumming talent, it's also not like wildly avant-garde or anything. Like it's it has that consistent uh, two and four on the hi hat. Um, you can hear that really fast like hi hat going in and out on the twos and fours that keeps it like constant. So it's not just sort of like a a wash of of drum hits that might uh, turn you off. Yeah, he really does stay within the rhythmic structure. Of, of the like the whole song is fit into that one consistent rhythmic structure which makes it more accessible i think yeah and that's that's sort of a, a hard bop thing like how it's really intense and really rhythmic and very fast but it's it's also consistent like there's there is that structure it's just an intense structure The other aspect of the song that makes it, I think, accessible and easier to listen to than like kind of modern or free jazz uh, drum solos is there are like very distinct repeated motifs. I mean, I'm, I might even call them like a chorus. There's like a chorus that comes in with this like he'll like play the, the high tom 
and the low tom, like those tuned drums, um, and then also the ride cymbal at the same time. And that's like repeats several times where he comes back to that. And so that gives the song like more of that chorus structure that we as listeners are very comfortable and familiar with. I think he as a person like didn't want to say like, oh yes, here are the things that I took from traditional African drumming. But there's some qualities of it that are definitely, you can you can draw a, a line between his style and some more traditional drum styles. Specifically something that's that you can hear in this piece is um, bending the pitch of those, of those pitch drums, the toms. So a drum is like a cylinder of wood and then the top of it has something stretchy stretched over it that makes the sound when you hit it. Oh. And the tightness of the stretchy part determines what the pitch is. So when you're pitching those, you're like tightening the, the head of the drum to make it higher or loosening it to make it lower. Um, what you can also do is as you are playing it, uh, you would do this with your elbow, is you could press on the head of the drum while you're hitting it with a stick in your other hand and there and thereby heighten the pitch because you're stretching it even more when you put your elbow into it so that's something that is um that like pitch changing using the head of the drum is something that's uh pretty widespread in traditional african drumming and is something that i think art like you probably learned visiting africa and uses in this piece this song in general feels very dynamic changing things on the set right the first two-thirds of the song are played with the snares on the snare drum turned off so the snares are like the part that make give the snare drum its distinctive rattle so you can turn those on or off on the actual snare drum and the beginning of the song it's off and the snare drum is essentially functioning just as like another tom drum with that like open hollow sound but then you can hear him turn the snares on because now when he starts playing the toms there's like a little vibration across the drum set to the snares and then he starts playing like uh like rolls on the snares after that that give it like that that very characteristic snare drum sound which isn't present for the first half of the song um, which i thought was a really cool dynamic like introducing new elements in that way by physically manipulating the drum set changing the pitch changing the snares etc Gabe, you have a song that predates the Freedom Rides, but relates to uh, a pretty major part of the history of the movement. Yeah, so maybe I'll start with kind of the next little portion that I want to talk about, the Freedom Riders. So the Freedom Riders are riding buses and trains across the South, and in 1961, they end up in Mississippi. When they reach Jackson, the capital, the governor basically just sends them all to jail immediately said no violence uh, against the protesters, but we're just going to ship them off to prison um, and sent them to the Mississippi State Penitentiary, uh, commonly known as Parchman Farm, which 
has to be one of the like alongside maybe Angola prison it has to be one of the most infamous notorious prisons in America for convict labor and abuse and like the death penalty and just like every like all of the worst aspects of the American prison system are built into Parchment Farm. So the Freedom Riders were sent there, and at one point, over 300 people, 300 riders were imprisoned at Parchment Farm, which is just a degrading experience, like most prisons, like all prisons, um, but as a maximum security prison in the segregated south of Mississippi, alongside hard labor, maybe particularly degrading. Even by this point in 1961, Parchment Farm had developed quite a reputation, um, and there was music being made that predates the Freedom Riders, and so I am bringing a song about Parchment Farm. This is Parchment Farm Blues by Booker White. I'm down on old Parchment Farm, I sure wanna go back home. So the artist here is Booker T. Washington White, um, commonly known uh, as Booker, spelled B-U-K-K-A, White. Um, and he was born in Mississippi in the Delta in 1906. Became renowned for his playing of uh, a slide resonator guitar with uh, like an interesting open tuning on the strings where the, um, the strings are tuned in a different way than a standard guitar would be. Something I learned, Andrew, um, is that he is a cousin once removed to another great Mississippi blues player, B.B. King. Huh. Which apparently, he's cousin, or he was cousins with B.B. King's mother. Um, so this song came about because um, he had already recorded some music, um, but then in 1937, he was arrested for a shooting incident um, where he was with a friend, and they were ambushed by somebody, and so he shot the guy in the leg. So anyway, so the story goes that he's uh, been arrested, he's got a bail set. He ends up skipping his bail to go to Chicago to record two more songs, and then getting uh, rearrested and sent off to Parchment Farm in Mississippi. Three years later, he gets out of prison in 1940 and records this song about his experience at the Mississippi State Penitentiary. Um, Andrew, you are typically the blues guy on this show. I'm widely known across America as the blues guy. Yeah, I would say that. Can Do you have a good way of describing what distinguishes like this style of Delta blues from maybe other blues that we're familiar with? Absolutely not. I don't know shit about the blues. Oh, well. Okay, so broadly what I've found, I just tried to do a little bit of research because I'm not super familiar with the Delta Blues either, although it's something that my mom is really into. The song, this song, you could hear it, is really based around a single chord, and there are occasional like alterations or um, inversions of that chord that make it sound different, but it's really within that one same scale. Um, and um, I think another major characteristic of the Delta Blues is the vocal style, which Booker White demonstrates. It's, it's very guttural. 
Um, he has a lovely, quavery vibrato, um, a lot of emotion, like a lot of blues songs, a lot of emotion behind the words. Oh, listen, you man, I don't mean no harm. If you wanna do good, you better Andrew, we talked about this a little ahead of time, but he is indeed playing a resonator guitar. Now, this I do know that you can say something about. Um, can you describe to the to our listeners what a resonator guitar is? Uh, so a resonator is the precursor to amplification. The way a resonator works is it's a normal guitar, and then in the body of the guitar, right underneath the strings, where normally the, like, the sound hole is, beneath that is a metal cone that resonates called a resonator cone and that amplifies the sound of the guitar and also changes it a little bit uh, makes it a lot more metal sounding not metal as in like that's fucking metal but like you know what i mean it sounds like it's it sounds like it's resonating through metal oh i thought metallica originally started on resonator guitars and- <laughs> Um, so resonators are big in uh, blues, uh, especially early blues, again, because it makes the guitar a lot louder. So it's it's a way to amplify your sound before you can have an amp. And it looks like, at least in this album cover, he's got a metal body resonator. Uh, you can have a also have one with a wood body, um, but that has a slightly different sound. When you have the metal body, then it sounds even more metallic. Um, and I have one that has a metal body that was used to play the theme song for this podcast. I was going to ask us if you would play us a little, but... I play at the beginning and end of every show. I play it live. <laughs> live. That's why it sounds... Andrew's very practiced. That's why it always sounds perfect. Yeah, we got to bring the drummer in studio. Um, anyway, you can hear the guitar quite distinctly, obviously, through the song, but he also is a talented... Uh, a slide guitar player, um, which makes itself particularly known during a little solo in the middle, which is a great demonstration of the resonator played with a slide. Yeah, I, I should say that is a common technique for a resonator because uh, usually with a resonator, you have it open tuned, as Gabe was saying at the beginning of this. That basically means that when you play all of the strings without fretting any of the strings, you get a chord rather than on a normal, on standard tuning for guitar. Uh, it's tuned in fourths. It doesn't really give you a, a nice uh, major chord, but it would for open tuning. And that's also why you can use the slide, because what the slide basically does is it frets all of the strings at the same spot, so it just moves that chord up and down in the same orientation. Yeah, it should be noted that uh, Booker White was well-known for using an E minor open tuning. Hmm which was sort of a distinct stylistic um, take. Yeah, it's fucking wild. So this song entered uh, the blues repertoire, Parchment Farm Blues, and was actually probably more famously covered by Mose Allison uh, in the 50s. I have to say, I think it loses quite a bit of its soul in that recording. I was listening to it, I was like, this is not doing it for me. But that's a pretty common thing with 
uh, jazz and blues is um, other artists playing the same song, and it was not at all uncommon, especially for white artists to play black artists' songs and then repurpose them and then subsequently become more famous and successful off of somebody else's music, um, which happened in this particular case. Although there is a twist on this story because in the 90s, um, Jeff Buckley covered the original version of Parchment Farm Blues, which is this one by Book of White, in a more um, truthful or, or uh, he covered it in a more like true true to the original way where it has a lot of the same song sound. Like the, the Mose Allison recording is got like piano and all this, but Jeff Buckley is just playing the guitar. And you can hear that um, as an outtake from his well-known album, Grace. Listen, you man, I don't mean no harm. Oh, listen, you man, sure don't mean no harm. If you wanna do good, you better telephone Parchment Farm. Andrew, are we allowed to have a song of the summer this year? Since summer 2020 doesn't really exist. No. Well, that's too bad because the song that you chose for your new song this week would be ideal for that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's certainly my song of this week of summer. And currently, Philadelphia is in a uh, extreme heat warning, which is fun for me in the studio with all of my fans and air conditioners off. <laughs> um, and that is helping me get through the next uh, couple days of like 98 degrees. You'd think I would be listening to 98 Degrees, but that's where you'd be wrong. I'm, I'm, well, I'm glad I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, the song that I am listening to is entitled Runner by Howdy. Let's get the jokes about the spelling of the band name out of the way right at the top here. Are you sure it's not Havdi? It's like Wavs. See, here's what that was also what I knew you were going to make the joke about. But Wavs is not like that. The Havd, it's H-O-V-V-D-Y. It's pronounced Howdy. That's like how always is spelled the band or the witch, the movie is stylized. Although I think that's actually supposed to be spelled with a W instead of the two V's. But WAVS, W-A-V-V-E-S, is not supposed to be WAS. It's supposed to be WAVES. So that one's different from all the other ones. Hmm. You're right. So you're saying I should continue with my Traverch's joke then? <laughs> yes, you should have gone with Traverch. Well, yeah. No, that Traverch's is right. Always is clearly the right, uh, the right reference to make there, but... I do like Wavs and Traverches. And, I mean, have you seen The Vivitch? Because it's, it's a very good movie. Modern horror no, movie. No, I don't do horror. It's not really a horror movie. I don't know that I would call it a horror movie. It's one of those, you know, is it the horror? The last horror just... movie I watched was The Green Room, and I watched that with you Yeah. Uh, at your parents' house in, like, 2017. So uh... Now, that was... That is a horror movie. That is like a slasher movie, basically. Yeah, a music-themed. Music-themed. This ties us back to what the podcast is supposed to be about. Let's talk about Howdy. 
Yes. Howdy is a duo from Austin, Texas. They are Charlie Martin and Will Taylor, which is weird because Charlie Martin makes it sound like, because we talked about Charlie Parker at the beginning of this, makes it sound like he's a jazz musician. And Will Taylor, I believe, is Orlando Bloom's name in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I think that's right. Yeah. But uh, it is not Charlie Parker and Orlando Bloom, although that would be a band I would want to listen to. Uh, It is Charlie Martin and Will Taylor. They have released three albums in the last three years. And this is a single off of, I don't know if it's going to be part of a new album. Normally I'd be like, well, it can't be a new album because they just put an album last year, but they put an album like every year. So maybe it is. Uh, Dunno. Yeah, we're kind of in a weird album cycle too right now with bands not touring. So everybody's just like making music Everybody's just working on an album because nobody can tour. Yeah. So uh, Charlie Martin, who's the vocalist, says that uh, this song draws on his memories of his childhood in Dallas. He says uh, the spirit of running around as a kid with an amount of freedom that would probably be considered unsafe nowadays. It also unpacks the dynamic of an absent parent who nonetheless gives good advice. We need both positive and negative influences in life. I really love the chorus of this, which is that, that like good advice that he's talking about. Uh, say take your time don't give it away don't give it up um, the way it's sung and also the the words themselves I think are just are what makes that song of the summer sound I think yes in part I mean definitely he's talking I mean he literally says the words summer in this song so yes summer related song um, <laughs> but just the the sound of the song is like kind of this blissed out haze like a wash in like hot sunlight it feels like summer more than just talking about it in the lyrics if that makes sense yeah absolutely part of his sort of like indie alt pop rock genre that i've seen called slow core because like the songs are not fast but they're full and they have like all this uh, uh they have all this depth to them but like none of howdy's songs are faster than this song it's like poppier dream pop yeah this is like actually an outlier in how fast it feels even though like the tempo is not that fast but because of the complexity of like everything going on in it, it feels a little faster than most of their other music. I will say, however, self-defined genre alert, uh, they normally call their music Pillowcore, which I also like. That's a more interesting name than Slowcore. And it's, I mean, well, I haven't listened to any of their other music, but this song, uh, yeah, I could envision myself listening to it with my head on a pillow. I actually just was before we started recording this yeah. podcast. <laughs> So I don't know this band very well, as as I said. I really like the song. I really like uh, like the vocal rhythm as he's singing mm-hmm. the lyrics. I don't know if I can really describe it well, but I guess it's like a little bit syncopated, and it has like kind of this like swaying, swinging feel to it, which I think also contributes to the, like the summary effect. Yeah, I think actually uh, the vocal harmony is not syncopated. But a lot of, I mean, the vocal melody is not syncopated, but a lot of the 
instrumentals are and so to have that like straight rhythm from the vocals is like a really nice offset you know i think i think a, a pitfall of writing like a cool instrumental part or a cool vocal melody is to just repeat that in the other one but um there's a nice like discourse between like the bass and the vocals in here i think Gabe, um, as you said last week, you've brought a song by Illuminati Hotties. I did promise that I would bring a song off the Illuminati Hotties mixtape that came out on Friday, and I'm not going to let you down. This is Frequent Letdown from the Illuminati Hotties new mixtape, Free IH. This is not the one you've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. I'm always letting everyone down. I'm always letting everyone know I'm down. Mm-hmm. I'm always letting everyone down. I'm always letting everyone know I'm down. Okay, explain explain what's going on here to me. There seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of specific words that you're making sure you use, and I'm confused. So Illuminati Hadis is a band, but really it's just Sarah Tudson, um, who is a Berkeley School of Music, the one in Massachusetts, a trained engineer. She's a train engineer? Wow, that's super cool. Um, that is a terrible joke. Oh, God. Um, but, you know, she's kind of like a studio vet who worked the board um, rather than working the mic uh but now she's doing both um so she released a debut record in 2018 called kiss your frenemies which definitely one of my favorite albums of the year um it didn't get a huge amount of play but it was like it became one of those like indie darling records and i think because of her whole style and her studio backgrounds and the kind of music she plays I would describe her as a musician's musician. Two weeks ago, this album got leaked, quote-unquote leaked, um, on SoundCloud and was tweeted out by a bunch of uh, our favorite artists, um, specifically also including Lucy Dacus, who, like, tweeted it. And, like, nobody knew who... Nobody knew immediately who the who the artist had put this out. It was uh, under the artist name Occult Classic... Uh, eventually, people figured out that it was Sarah Tudson, um, and then she released it under the Illuminati Hotties moniker. So this album, I've been calling it a mixtape. Yes, you have. Because that's how she describes it. Uh, there is a backstory here. So Illuminati Hotties released their first record in 2018 on the Tiny Engines label, which is a small indie label. When you sign a label deal, usually you sign for multiple albums, right? So... Sarah Tudson and Illuminati Hotties were signed to a two-record deal with Tiny Engines. Released the first one. It's great. Huge critical acclaim. Everything's good. She is working on her second album. But then last winter, basically November of 2019, it gets really messy. There is a big storm of negative publicity around Tiny Engines because they're not paying their artists. 
They owe them uh, quite a bit of money in royalties and backdated royalties. Um, they were doing some shady things with signing new bands rather than paying the bands that they already had on the label. And this is like a small indie label, but they had like 30 bands signed, which is actually fairly big for an indie label. And the founder and like owner of the label wasn't really able to defend himself. Um, and so a bunch of artists started pulling themselves off the label um, to the best that they could in their contract and like buying themselves out. Sarah Tudson's response as Illuminati hotties to pull her stuff off the label was to drop this record, <laughs> which was not, which is why it is free IH, like free Illuminati hotties from the label. This is not the one you've been waiting for, implying that there is an indeed a real second LP coming, maybe later this year, maybe at the beginning of next year, on a different label that is like more representative of her uh, style and work than this like 23 minute 12 song ripper of a punk album and this is her fulfilling her contract duties to the label and possibly leaking the album ahead of time intentionally to deprive the label from publicity or, or whatever anyway a very interesting situation i think it's um shitty how the label has treated its artists but um, what a hilarious way to deal with it, and what an incredible little mixtape. Yeah, it's really good. I am no CEO. I'm not professional. song itself, uh, I really like, Andrew. So this is Frequent Letdown. Frequent spelled with, um, like, free, like, F-R-E-E, Quint. As in free Illuminati hot. Right, exactly. This is probably the, the closest of any song off this mixtape that's like her first album. And that it's, like, self-deprecating and more, like, anxious... Um, with like pretty melodies and frank lyrics as opposed to the rest of the record which is like just a ripper like just like punk like blah 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 and amazing but very very different from her 2018 album um so you know like the, the chorus goes i'm always letting everyone down i'm always letting everyone know i'm down um which is pretty tough pretty tough on yourself I think so. I think especially right now, there are some lyrics on this album that resonate. And from this song in particular, she says, "I couldn't keep a partner because staying in touch is such a bummer," um, which I think is a great, like a great line. Staying in touch is such a bummer. That's how I feel normally about like staying in touch with people. You know, when you're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna talk soon, hopefully." I like, I just like wish I didn't have to do that. You know, it's nice because with Andrew, right, we have like this dynamic where we do a podcast together so we don't have to like stay, you know, stay in touch. You know, like, I don't know if that makes sense to people, but I don't get it. Whatever. I just like dislike having like you call you that one friend every three months and like catch up for an hour. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just hang out with your friends in real life? I can't even imagine what that would be. Yeah, it's been so long, huh? Good. I could keep a partner Cause staying in touch is so 
that's my Illuminati hotties rant for the show. I also wanted to plug her cover of Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody from like January or December. And it's just like slowed down to like half time of the original. And is like barely recognizable at the beginning, but ends up being a pretty good cover. Andrew, was there any other good new music that you wanted to point out from this week that we haven't covered? Yeah. Do you want to start with Leanne Lahavas? Yeah. Uh, what a what a beautiful, go- like gorgeous record. We we talked a little bit about her uh, single off this record, her cover of Radiohead's "Weird Fishes," um, but the whole thing is amazing. Yeah, it's it's really excellent. You should check it out. I assume we, uh, 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 I said at the very beginning of the, like, of Friday, the release cycle, being like, this is probably too famous, right? She's probably too big for me to pick from. So it was out of the running, but it's, it's such an excellent album. Just listen to the whole thing as a unit. It's great. I really liked the Silverbacks debut record titled Fad that came out this week. It's a banger. It's fun. They've got nice ironic sarcastic lyrics including the line that wasn't jesus that's just some fucker in a dressing gown um there was a bunch of ambient and noise instrumental electronic stuff this week and i kind of want to just run through all of it in one go because either you're into this sort of thing or you're not so um let me go in order of chillest to least chill First, uh, Roger Eno and Brian Eno uh, put out an expanded version of their album Mixing Colors from earlier this year, which I believe I shouted out when it came out the first time. Very calming, nice for sleeping. Um, There's an album called Species from Bing and Ruth, uh, which is also quite chill. There's a compilation called A New Age for New Age, Volume 2, from the label Whatever's Clever um, that has a lot of, uh, some varied stuff, but mostly... Uh, pretty chill, new age sort of vibes. Nicolas Yar, I think that's how you say his name, put out, I think his like third album of the year. His third album of the year, it's ridiculous. And they're all good. They're all uh, good. Called Tell Us. Uh, yeah, th- that one gets a little more to the, it's a little less background and more foreground kind of stuff. Yeah. And then to tie it all together, this the album that you should not listen to unless you are very into noise is Trevor Hagen's Amygdala, um, which was mixed by Justin Vernon of Bon Iver fame. That one's, it's just very aggressive. You're not really a bluesologist, Andrew. You're more of a vernologist. Vernologist. Yeah, a phrenologist. Um, I want to point out two more records. Uh, Laraji, La I don't really know how to pronounce this, um, uh, put, that, put out an incredible piano record called Sun Piano, which I really enjoyed. And then there was like a gorgeous little chill electronic-y thing from the Melbourne duo Clo um, called Maybe We Could, 
which is just beautiful to listen to. I was hoping you would mention that one first because I wasn't sure how to say the name of the band. Yeah, I'm kind of guessing on that one too. It's K-L-O-O. I think it's Klo, but it could be. Listen, one of those L's could be a capital I and then it's Kilo and I'm looking like an idiot. But Or Cleo. Yeah, or Cleo. That would be rough if they spelled it like that. Maybe they're both eyes and it's Keo. We don't know. Um, there was also uh, an EP from Wolfpack, if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, which is fun. There was a, an EP from Half Moon Run that I enjoyed. And then there was a little EP of covers uh, by Father John Misty, which I also really enjoyed. So much music to listen to. Keep listening to it. If you can honor the memory of John Lewis over the next week in some way, we encourage you to do that um, by more than just listening to our songs and by staying involved. And you can, and you should. Yes. We have a Twitter that you can follow us on, at Fresh Pressed Pod. We have a Spotify playlist with all of our songs. And then we'll be back next Tuesday, July 28th, with more tunes and more grooves. But for now... I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Breast. <laughs>